episode 287, The Rant, Ryan Patrick Warner and Coach Charlie Marquardt putting on for their city with Rockaway Hoops. Anyone who is from Rockaway Beach, Queens, knows how much they have pride in their community and basketball. In this pod, Ryan and Charlie Sr. talk about their love of Rockaway Beach and love of basketball, only to combine it to speak to those individuals that have made an imprint on the community. All that and more, Rockaway Hoops on The Rant now. The Rant has been brought to you by Geo Studios, now open. They are located one block south of Westbury Train Station in the heart of Long Island, New York. Looking to bring your art or event to life? Trying to record a podcast? Enjoy six rooms of studio space to create audio and visual content. It also includes an 800-square-foot cyclorama wall studio, a state-of-the-art recording studio, three breakout rooms for four to six people each, which include a green room and lounges, a quality surround sound with six speakers and studio lighting, and most importantly, two on-site restrooms. You know I need my restrooms. Book your space today. For more information, find us at geoevents.com. The Rant has been brought to you by The Irrefutable Magazine. Co-editor in design Kevin Sparrick and co-editor at large Ralph Fernolis decided to combine both of their talents in writing and illustrations to bring to you a new online experience from an official's perspective. They both ref, but it's deeper than officiating. They create art for all time. Do you think your brand would be a good fit for The Irrefutable Magazine audience? Want to advertise with us? Visit us at theirrefutable.com slash sponsors for more information. We are the irrefutable. Welcome to another edition of The Rant. I'm your host, Ralph the Ref. I'm with two super special guests from Rockaway fame. Collegiate basketball official on my left side and What's on up, my Ralph? right side. Huh? What's up, Ralph? <laughs> <laughs> Also on my right side, um, the head coach of the men's basketball team at Malloy College, Charlie Marquardt and Ryan Werner. How are you? Very good. It's good to be here. Thanks, good, man. Thanks for coming down. I'm in, I'm in your neck of the woods. Thanks for coming down. I appreciate the trip. I appreciate both of you guys. So um, I contacted, well, Ryan contacted me, I'd say, what, two weeks ago now? Yeah. Yeah, Same so we, we were talking about just things, and, and I was pleasantly surprised the things that you guys were doing. You know, I asked Charlie, I think I saw him recently, and I was like, man, what's your dad doing? Mm. Must be going crazy because there's no basketball. And the same thing for us. We haven't got a chance to ref. I know there's like some outdoor things that were open, but now it's getting cold. We don't know what's going on. But um, nonetheless, welcome to the show, guys. Yeah, it's brutal, man. This, yeah. has been, uh, this has been tough sliding for the past bunch of months. You know, the, I remember in the very beginning, they told us, you know, ah, just give it a couple of weeks. It's going to blow over. And it hasn't. And here we are. We're making the best of it. That's right. That's what we're doing. We're here. We're happy to be here and talk hoops. You know, if we can't. Be active like we want to be. At least we, we can talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was the genesis of why you guys made what you did because you guys love the game of basketball so much and you love Rockaway so much that you combined both of those loves and made Rockaway hoops. And we're going to talk about that, but I wanted to go back to, I guess, everything that happened in March, the coronavirus, which is still raging on, and it doesn't seem like there's anything that's going to end. And I know in Division One, it's going to be opening up November 25th, but for collegiate officials like me that are at the lower level and uh, I'm primarily a high school official, I don't know when it's going to go. Like even at Kellenberg, I coach the volleyball team. It's basically a lecture hall. I don't see them having the pyrotechnic crew coming in and mm. 
taking, rolling everything out to have a basketball game only to put it back in. I mean, at, uh, athletics is kind of like on the backseat when it comes to academics, but I want to go back to when it first started. First, I want to go with you, uh, Coach. Mm-hmm. How's your family holding up? How are yeah. you holding up? And yeah. when was the moment that you took all of this really serious? I would say I took it serious pretty much right away. We were, we were finished up with our uh, conference tournament. We got home, and since we were in New York, you know, it sort of hit pretty quick. So I would say that's probably the second or third week in March. I realized this wasn't going to go away based on media and uh, what people were saying. So um, thankfully, everyone is uh, doing well at home. And, uh, you know, you sort of grind long-term now mm-hmm. instead of short-term. So um, I think sometimes you got to think about what it takes to go long-term and maybe be ahead of the curve than your family and try to guide them along where they need to go. So that's what I've been trying to do. Right. There's been a couple of positive benefits of this, right? Obviously, you made this thing that has a lot of momentum right now. And of course, you probably spent so much time with your family that you're so used to being on the road, watching tape, watching, doing coaching things, right? right. And let's go to you, Ryan. In March, what were you up to? And, and when you first took this, when this all started happening, how were you holding up? How's your family holding up? When did you take all this really serious? So I kind of have a, I had a myriad of things going on at that point. I, uh, I work for an essential business. Uh, my company I work for uh, repairs naval ships, and we, um, we never stopped. Um, and we were fortunate. We never had an outbreak. Uh, we instituted one of the, uh, I, w- I would like to think, one of the country's most robust coronavirus responses. Mm-hmm. We were able to keep our employees safe. We certainly offered them the option if they wanted to stay home uh, and the the government stepped in with various programs uh, that would allow them to do that for whatever period of time uh, they felt necessary. And we were supportive of that, but um, a lot of our our operations stayed uh, full force and kind of separate from that adjunct to that. I, you know, I'm pursuing a law degree at night in the evenings at Fordham university. And at first it kind of aligned with spring break. So we were hitting that point where we were about to take a break and the school uh, took that opportunity to press the reset button and just kind of see how things were going to play out. Um, And we'd never returned to campus, obviously. And then we had that same shift to remote learning that all the colleges had. So I was trying to juggle um, continuing to go to work every day and the the law school component, which was tough. Um, And obviously the basketball season was coming to an end at that point as well. Right. And you think about the interconnectedness of everything. So, you know, your, your season was done, but you knew when all of this was hitting, you were like, oh, this is really going to affect everything. Right. And then just looking at you, Ryan, you didn't stop, but everything completely changed. And then now you're doing remote learning. So whether you lose your job, whether you've lost a family member, whether you're doing better, everything, everyone has still been affected by this. And I'll still continue to say, stay safe, stay socially right. distanced and you know, at some point we'll get out of this and who knows. Um, but, you know, you, you made something out of it, right? I think everyone, especially for me, I guess everyone here on this table is our basketball junkies, right? right? I still wanted to get my fix, right? And I remember when the NBA started coming on, it was like my dream because we were so devoid of basketball for such a long time. And the game was like one o'clock, three o'clock. I was like, finally, there's something. Yeah. But you both had an affinity for basketball. And this place is a hotbed. Rockaway Beach for basketball. So I just want to talk about where did you guys grow up with your affinity of sports? Like, let's, let's start with you, Coach. 
When did you get into sports? That's a good question. I, I really loved it right from the very beginning. They did local clinics down here, and I just took to the game. I liked the activity, the action, playing both ends, and I just loved that style. I, I didn't know that, but, you know, once you try something, you know, you like it, and, and I just played it. You know, I played baseball and other things, but they didn't satisfy it to mm. the level, and then I moved on, and uh, I just continued loving the game because of what it taught me as well. So I, I like that part of it as, as well as working with others. Individual sports never did it for me. Mm. And what about you, Ryan? How did you get into uh, sports? Was there a specific moment? So my, my mom's in the CHSA Hall of Fame. She was a coach at Bishop Carney in Brooklyn for a long time. Uh, she was there 25 years. Actually, uh, when we filmed Rockaway Hoops, our podcast tonight, uh, Marguerite Moran played at Bishop Carney right prior to my mom taking over the program there. So it was an athletic household from day one. Uh, I was definitely a late bloomer. Uh, my license has me listed at 5'9". Mm-hmm. I'm about six inches taller than that now. Uh, so things kind of happen for different people at different times. Mm-hmm. But I was always playing sports, always playing basketball. Um, and I continue to play because I'm just very passionate about the game. You know, when I talk to people who've played basketball and played other sports, there's like a connectivity to the game that you don't necessarily experience in other games. And it, there's also a duress that comes with mm-hmm. the game when you're a player yeah. where you get pushed kind of physically, especially mm-hmm. as you get older and the game gets more physical and, you know, fatigue becomes more of a factor in the game in high school and college. You know, that kind of assembles a bond between you and, and your teammates that is, it's hard to find in other sports. It's hard to create. Yeah, I agree. And also just just playing the game. I know for me, I had a deep separation anxiety when I got a little bit older and now you start getting responsibilities. It's very tough to transition. And talking about that transition from playing to coaching, Mm -hmm. you know, you've been at Malloy for a very long time. What was that transition like? When was that moment when you were like, this is going to be what I'm going to do and I want to have longevity in the game? Mm, That's a good question. After uh, college, uh, I just worked on Wall Street. And I saw that money was uh, insatiable. I was never going to make enough that was going to satisfy it. And so I made a decision. I was probably about 25, 26 at the time. I was coaching CYO uh, locally here at St. Francis to sales in Rockaway Beach. And I said, I want to get into more. And uh, I knew when I made that decision that I was saying no to, to money. And I had, I had opportunities. You know, I could have been on the trading floor somewhere where I was working. And, but I was all right with that because I felt like, uh, like feeding the soul would, would be the wise thing at that point. And so that's when I knew. When I made the decision to start getting into an assistant coaching level part-time for no money, I said, yeah, I really do love it. So that's where it started for me. Yeah, I could definitely relate to that. When I was 19 years old, I wanted some money to buy some Jordans. So I ended up going to my old high school and was like, you know what? I want to help around uh, with the volleyball team. And 20 years later... Five championships, two state championships right. later. It's like, I can't believe what it's evolved to because my original intent, I didn't realize how much passion I would have for the game of volleyball and to you know, lead young ladies to have successful lives, not only in the game of volleyball, but just in the game of life. And, you know, Ryan, we talked off air about, you know, you had your little coaching uh, stint and you realized that there was going to be bumps in the road because there is a pecking order, right? And, you know, Something that I just heard from your previous podcast that you just recorded was every player, I'm sorry, every coach should ref and every ref should coach. I completely agree with that because as a volleyball coach, I can empathize when I'm a ref 
how much work and how much how much a, a coach puts into just preparing a team to do a game, right? How much how much time it takes to scout a team, you know, really get your guys prepared to to go out and battle. But then refing, it's like it's it's completely different. But when you have that that type of empathy as a as a coach, it translates better as a ref. So just briefly talk about your coaching career and when did you pivot and transition to being a ref? Uh, so. Uh, when I was in college, I was bouncing around a lot. Uh, the way to get into college coaching, if you don't have like a prolific playing career, is to work camps. So I was working a lot of camps, and I was working guys out. And during the school year, I was up at Ithaca College, and we had a we had one of the best Division three teams in the country at the time. My junior year, they were ranked third, and and they a couple of Division one transfers. Uh, they their point guard uh, was there for four years, but. His name was Sean Burton. He was one of the best players in the country at the time. And I, I never really uh, was able to get involved with the team there, uh, but Cornell University is nearby. And at the time, Steve Donahue had Cornell playing, and I think they made three straight NCAA tournaments. Um, and the, the final one was my senior year where they went to the Sweet 16. And you would think that, you know, this isn't so long ago. This is only about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And when you visit Division One programs now, there seems to be, uh, you know, countless managers and support staff milling about offering their services in any way they can. At that time, for whatever reason, at Cornell, there was like nobody involved with the mm. program outside of the assistant coaches. So when I walked through the door, they were like just happy to have me do anything. Right. And it wasn't this insane commitment where they were expecting me to like sleep there and stuff. But as I was around the team more, as I was around the team more, and the coaching staff, I really appreciated their philosophy. He ran like a very loose Princeton-style offense. I know like the term Princeton and offense in the same sentence is often like a curse word for players. But if you understand how the offense functions and you play it up tempo, now with the shortest shot clock, like it's not what it was when Pete Carrillo was the coach there. Right. It's actually good basketball. You know, you're basically lifting up your one of your big guys towards the high post area. Get, getting him the ball and allowing him to be like a playmaker in the offense. And that kind of just shaped my total offensive philosophy. So Donahue moved on to BC after I graduated, almost got in there as a GA, kind of, you know, he was building his staff. I, I visited them, just didn't break. He recommended me for an assistant position with the women's program at Cornell. So that's where I ended up right out of college. I was 21 years old. I was a division one assistant at Cornell, but the Ivy League doesn't fund their third assistants. So I was up there just hustling. And then after that season, I was kind of in with the Columbia staff. Now that guy, Kyle Smith's out of Washington State. He had like this meteoric rise. He came into Columbia around that time, didn't know a lot of people in the area. A friend of mine, Kobe Altman, who's now the GM of the Cavs, was his volunteer assistant. Kobe got me involved there running camps and things like that. So that was kind of when I switched over to the men's side. I went up to New Paltz for a year. I was a D3 assistant that was a good experience. Actually recruited a kid out of Stepanak, Davino McRae, who ended up being the rookie of the year when I left. And then, uh, then I got down to St. Peter's. John Dunn uh, is a Rockaway guy. Uh, went to St. Francis de Sales. Um, had a long trajectory in coaching, and he ended up at St. Peter's. He was there for like over a decade. Um, and now he's the head coach at Marist, Marist College. But I got hooked up with Dunn through some local guys. But again, like the, the funding in all these programs was terrible, you know, and it's like at the division one level now, if you don't have a prolific playing career, or you don't have a rabbi, it's like there's this badge of honor where you're expected to like not be compensated for like a decade. 
there's no like meritocracy to it whatsoever, which makes it hard. You know, like it's not 1990, like tolls are four, it's four dollars to get over the Marine Parkway Bridge, you know, let alone the, the tunnels and the Veranzano Bridge. You know what I'm saying? So, and a lot of coaches from that era have that perspective because like when they got into coaching in the 90s, you got into coaching, there was no money in it. Even at the division one level, some of those division one coaches weren't making anything. So they kind of have this perspective, but there's this whole other perspective for the guys getting into it now where, like, the cost of living is so much higher. You know, it's like it's almost not fair to compare the two. And Mm. Listen, they have all these positions on staffs now. Like, if you look at St. John's website, I bet you they're paying, like, 12 to 15 guys within their program. Mm -hmm. But you get involved as an admin, how long is it going to take you to get on the floor coaching? And then there's the other side of it, which is you were never a player, and now you were an admin for eight years. No one wants to give you a shot because you're pegged as an admin. So it's it, basically what, what ended up happening was I was 25 years old. I had no benefits. I was basically hustling to make ends meet, you know, substitute teaching when I could, working guys out, bartending. And I was cool with that up until that point, and I started interviewing for a couple of third assistant Division One jobs or, you know, Fully, fully vested D2 positions. There's a few of those floating, but those aren't common. You know how it is. And I'm losing out to guys in their 30s, you know, who played. And I'm just saying to myself at this point, like, when I'm 35, am I going to be prepared to, to take a position like this? And, I mean, from a, from a quality of life standpoint, like, it, the answer wasn't, wasn't a yes. Mm. I needed to make a change. So I get in the maritime industry and – kind of ended up in officiating at that point because I had done some CYO when I was coaching at St. Peter's, like for extra money. I should not have been officiating at that point. I had no, you know, I, I was done a favor to be on the court and it was, it was a quick wake up call. I did some intramurals in college reffing. It was an immediate wake up call in CYO. The ball hits that line. You got to blow your whistle. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're not used to that as a player. I know. You're not used to it as a mm-hmm. coach. You're used to looking in the paint and trying to figure out if the guy's in three seconds for four seconds. Right. You know, and you don't understand the nuances of officiating. So, but then I got into officiating. I got, I got to meet some great people. Chris Kelly, Kerry Donahue. They gave me a lot of opportunities my first year. I worked 100-something high school games that year. And then I just kind of worked my way up, you know, went to camps, did that stuff. Wow. Great story. That was a great pivot, too. And just your experience coaching and also playing earlier. And then now you're an official. And then you as a coach. And, of course, you played earlier I mean, that's basically the, the bread and butter of why it's Rockaway Hoops, because you have all of those different experiences married. What I wanted to know is, when did you guys first meet? Do you guys remember? Wow. I, I, think, I think it might have been a phone call. Yeah, it's, it, it's got to be like over a decade. Like, I reached out to Charlie when I was in college because I was looking to coach. Right. So Charlie was running camps. I worked at Charlie's camp. Yeah. Um, and also, Charlie was a, a local resource uh, to me, as I was moving up in the ranks, there was almost an opportunity there where, yeah. where I was going to come out and maybe get involved with the program at Malloy. And when I was doing some scouting for you right. when I was in college, yep, I one of those open gyms at Cardozo and things like that. <laughs> oh, God, I'm not going to say the names of some of those kids, but I remember them, man. Yeah. Comes back. Yeah. And then just being around the neighborhood, you know, Charlie's son, as he was coming up, I was working with him. I have two brothers right around his age. And I would say for that age group, they were the three, you know, far and away better players in that age group. And they, they, they worked and worked off each other and they all ended up playing in college, which is for out here is a big accomplishment nowadays. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. Now during that whole time from, especially when you first met him and then you 
uh, got entry to his camps, did you guys stay in touch for for the most part, or was it more like you saw him around the neighborhood and there was a basketball event, and then you guys saw each other? I still have your desk number on my phone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I, I think, um, you know, there's always a summer league. There's always basketball in, in a small peninsula. Mm. So we'd see each other. You know, it wasn't even a call needed most of the time. You, we would catch up, you know, whether it be weekly or every other week. And so that's, that's the beauty of basketball, yeah. you know, in the summer or the winter, you know, Ryan would be refereeing or around the game. I would be doing that. I'd be around with Charlie. He'd be around with his brothers. So we sort of just stayed connected through the game. Mm. And uh, so it was pretty easy. It was no, no really going out of the way by either one of us. Right. You know? Right. And I think we were all united because of the coronavirus, of the absence of the game of basketball. And of course, that's probably when you guys started germinating this idea. What was what was the uh, the start of that? Was it more of like a situation where both of you guys were just twiddling your thumbs for a whole month and saying, "I'm itching to do something with basketball"? Mm-hmm. What was the genesis of Rockaway Hoops? I'll be honest with you. It was in July, and I was um, bored, and I saw this wasn't going to turn around in September, and I thought I was going to have a little bit of time on my hands, and I saw an area that I love in Rockaway, that loves the sport. I had sort of some general concepts of what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm going to try it. Even if we get 30 or 40 people just to talk about the game, that would quench me for then. Because yeah. at least I'm connecting with others. Yeah. So then it became, who, who should we get involved? So it was, you know, I thought about it and I said, I think Ryan would be good with this. Mm. I really, I, I, right away, I came up and said Ryan would be really good because he's intelligent, he's knowledgeable, he loves it, and I'm aware of how much he loves it. Mm-hmm. And then we had to come up with someone who would be good with media, edits, just helping. And, uh, you know, we thought Akira right away. So We weren't going to be able to do that. No. <laughs> no. Clearly, clearly she was going to help where we had a need. And... We just went with our first episode. It was mm. really just running blind, but we, were, we just loved the idea. And that's, that was sort of how I saw the beginning occurring. Yeah, and it's very similar to the game of officiating and, of course, coaching. It's like you get thrown in the fire, you don't know what to do. You, you have no, like, I'm sure when you first started coaching and you realized that you had to manage people's minutes, yeah. you had to figure out what the strategy is within the game, like, oh, he has two fouls now, I got to figure out what to do. Yeah. And, of course, in the game of officiating, when you're coming from a basketball or, or a coach, especially if you're an assistant, you're looking at a specific thing. You have a specific task in there. But then when you're officiating, sometimes you're in an area where you have to look at eight players simultaneously and you have to figure out what they're doing. And it's like you have to unlearn all the things that you know from playing and coaching. Sure. Um, when he decided to ask you about it, what was your initial thoughts? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I like between work, which like a lot of people are working remotely now, I don't have that kind of uh, that homebound poison over these past six months because, and my my fiance is a frontline worker as well. She's a nurse at Sloan Kettering. So to the extent that the both of us were able to get up every day, go to work, especially when it was scorched earth in March, April, and May was a blessing. You know, some people would view that as kind of us putting ourselves in harm's way. She had no choice. And to a certain extent, I had no choice either. And to be able to get behind the wheel and drive in was, it was nice. It was, it was like, it made me feel normal for eight to 10 hours a day. 
And then with school, you know, my hours are a bit limited. But yeah, I'm always looking for something new to get involved with. And I got a sense from this Facebook group that Charlie and I were both part of, this Brooklyn Queens CYO group put together by a gentleman by the name of Patrick Grady. He's a guy who's just always been around the game. He's, he's got a summer Breezy Point resident. And this group just took off. And the, the passion for the game was evident. And the stories guys were telling. And it was linking multiple generations, multiple cultural backgrounds, multiple, you know, in Brooklyn and Queens, up until about 10 years ago, you identified yourself by what the nearest church was. So if you were from Rockaway, you were from St. Francis de Sales. Or if you were from a little bit further downtown, you were from St. Rose. If you were from Howard Beach, you were from Grace. If you were from Marine Park, you were Good Shepherd, and so on and so forth. So it kind of brought that back. It got people remembering their good experiences in the game. And I felt, and I kind of echoed Charlie's sentiment of, felt it was the right time. Mm. And at least to get started, there was a lot of people looking to talk about this stuff because they had just been talking about it on Facebook. So right off the bat, and the Rockaway Summer League was one of the first leagues in the city to get back going. Right. So... Like, all at the same time, we were able to deliver people updates about the start of the league. We started right before the league kicked off, and we were able to just get the founder of the league there and have him give information. So it's kind of like, you know, sell me this pen. (laughs) Oh, I don't have one. Okay. So we were giving people information they weren't getting anywhere else. And I think part of it kind of inspired Bugsy to get a Facebook. Yeah. That's right. Uh, so Keith Bugsy Goldberg, he down here, a legend. He you know yeah. runs the CYO program. He now works for CYO uh, in the right. office with Rob Caldera and those guys. Um, so I, yeah, similar to what Charlie uh, felt, I thought there was a, a void, and I think we've done a good job of filling it. Where it's going to go, I don't think either of us know. But for the meantime, we've had a representative group of guests uh, that I think everyone is pleased with. Um, you know. From all walks of life. We've yeah. had young yeah. kids. We've had guys from all the way down in Far Rockaway. We've had guys from, you know, who grew up around the corner from Charlie, who coached Charlie, people from Breezy Point. It's, it's been good, you know. And, and honestly, with the, with the social media thing right now, I mean, it's good for some people. It gives them an outlet. Um, I try and stay out of the foray. I like listening in times like this and absorbing information and necessarily volunteering what I'm coming up with. But I will say that I think it's been refreshing for people to – to consume what we've put out there kind of in a mindless way, a non-emotional way, and it just mm-hmm. a positive way. Yeah. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah, and I know that coach was telling, asking me off air, like, where do we go from this? Because it's like, it's, it's weird. It's like a, mm-hmm. it's something that you never thought of. And like me, I'm, I'm just a ref. I, I ref multiple sports. I just wanted to talk to my friends, and then it ended up, I got somebody that was my, my local rules interpreter, and then next thing you know, it's just it's like snowballed. And yeah. I never would have thought about that, but you know, I really appreciate Ryan when, he DM me and he was asking me about um, different types of equipment and podcast advice. You know, where I'm at in this particular stage of, of doing this is like, I get, I get hit up all the time about what I need to do and all that. And, you know, sometimes I always hear like, you know, what, what do you think is the best equipment? And I was like, man, you just have to start. Yeah. You just have to do like 10, do 10 and then come talk to me. Mm-hmm. So that's what I really appreciate about Ryan is like, we already have it up. We're doing this. Yeah. And that's good because sometimes you get out of, you, you get, you can't get out of your own way. Yeah. You know, like sometimes you have a good idea. It might be terrible, right. but at the same time, at least you know, right? You, you, right? you have to be bold enough to try. So I, I really commend both of you uh, to do it. What do you think you learned about yourself making Rockaway Hoops? Uh, learned about myself uh, that I like talking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, to be honest with you, um, you, you, you want to kind of strike that middle ground. Yeah. Because as you know, when you get guys up here, 
if you're not interjecting and kind of guiding the conversation, it just becomes like the person sitting up here making a speech. For sure. Um, so you don't, you want to strike that balance mm -hmm. where letting them tell their story in their yeah. own words, but also making sure they're not pontificating and, and just kind of up here talking. People don't necessarily want to listen to that either. But I, th I think, um, I, th I think, you know, it just reinforced my passion for the game of basketball. And, and it's, it's really given me an opportunity to exude positivity. You know, we, we, it's highly uncontroversial. You know, I think uh, I, I listen to a lot of Joe Rogan. I listen to a lot of Howard Stern. This point in his career, Stern's kind of backed off a little bit. He's yeah. not like a shock jock right. anymore. But I think that's made him more interesting yeah. to the masses because he has like that cult following, like yeah. the crazy Stern people. But now it's kind of opened up other doors for him because like you just sense he's like genuinely interested in who he's talking to. Right. And him and Rogan in their own ways have both gotten flack for having extreme guests on both sides of various topics. And they both, what I, what I admire about them is they just kind of sit back and they say, hey, we're bringing these people on. We're giving them the opportunity to, to share their views. And what, what you notice is when they talk to Rogan and Stern, who are kind of like middle of the road guys, mm -hmm. they, they don't seem as extreme. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I they, do. They, he humanizes guests on both sides, the, both of those guys. That's, that's their calling card, I think. And that's why I enjoy listening to him. And that's what I try and do, and I think that's what Charlie tries to do as well, is we try and bring the story to life but express that we're genuinely interested. We're basketball nerds. Like, when we had Frank Walker on, who's from here, and if you talk Rockaway basketball, his name's going to come up pretty quickly. He had a good five-year career at Hofstra, played at CK, which for a kid from Rockaway to go out to CK and he started his senior year and he's one of their star players, they won championships. That's impressive. Yeah. You know, we don't, we haven't seen a lot of that over the years right. within that Christ the King program. And he sought it out. He could have went to Malloy or Prep or one of these other places, McClancy. And I think just like, forget about his reputation. I think getting to the bottom of his love for the game mm -hmm. was awesome. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause he, Certain people, when they're good at basketball or good at something, they get a reputation. It's like they got a chip on their shoulder or something. But then when you get down to their love of it and how they went about that and right. expressing their love, that's what's most interesting to me. Yeah. You know, and you find out that he's just as much of a basketball nerd as we are. He's not some guy with a chip on his shoulder. He's a great guy. Right. So you, that's can, you can make assessments of oh, what he's going to say, but you really don't know until you talk to them. Yeah. When you talk to them, it's, it really comes down to a foundation of love. And that's why it's been fun. And I like the live action yeah. uh, aspect of it where the, you could see the people's reactions. Because yeah. we've done like, tw I would say we've done 13 episodes, 12, 13 episodes. So you're looking at 10, 12 hours of content. And not every question or statement has been made in the right way or expressed. But we've been pretty close. Yeah. But on some of them, you see the jolt. <laughs> right, 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 right. I think you have the same issue as me is that, like, when I first started this, I'm like, man, I'm a ref. Like, I'm supposed to be anonymous and I'm, I'm putting myself out there. But at the same time, like, you know, if you're deeply rooted in the love of what you do and you know that you're a good person, you're coming from a good place of integrity, nobody can touch you. You know what I'm saying? And just the same thing with you. When I, when I listen to Joe Rogan, sometimes he says something completely off the wall. And I'm like, oh, I can't do that. And I always have that, like, in the back of my mind. Um, before I get to the next question... I'll give you an opportunity because what do you think you learned about yourself doing Rockaway Hoops? I think I learned that I'm just another small piece of Rockaway basketball. Mm -hmm. Like, There's a lot of people that love this game down here. So 
I felt I was part of a real big culture in Rockaway. That's what I learned about as I interviewed others, that it was a shared interest in something. And I like that connectivity to people that uh, we had others on, as Ryan stated, that, that loved it. I would say from other things that I learned about myself through this journey so far, that I enjoy being with people. Mm-hmm. And that whether it be through COVID or what have you, I can't do without them. Right. And no matter how hard you try or you keep up a front, time passes always better with people. Yeah. And um, I think that's been a, a good discovery. That's good. Yeah. That's good. So I'm going to wrap this up pretty soon. I got two more questions for you guys, but um, you guys will be invited individually on the ramp because I think both of you guys deserve your own individual episodes. But I did want to ask you, what do you think is your most stickiest situation that you've ever had making Rockaway Hoops? And first of all, shout out to Kiara, who I saw was breaking her neck, trying to figure out the best camera angle while you guys are recording. But what is your most stickiest situation thus far? Sticky situation? Yeah, whether that be like... uh, a tough situation? Yeah, like maybe the mic didn't work, uh, video didn't come off. Oh, that's a good question. I think a tough situation might have been... Sometimes I might have been in the middle of a conversation and forgot my thought. Mm. And so now you're sort of stuck. I don't think it was a name, but it just sort of like... You you sort of got to come back to where you need to go It's a skill. It's a skill. That's right. It takes a while. You feel like you're getting better though, right? I feel like it. I'm better than I was in the beginning. I guess repetition's the mother of memory. Yes. So, yeah, I would say, I would say that probably happened. Also, what to edit, what not to. Right. I think sometimes you want to keep it real. At the same time, something's got to be pulled out and called out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what I remember. It's it's hard. Like this format is, this format is kind of built for long form journalism, like Mm -hmm. kind of, uh, stream of consciousness stuff. That's where you get the good stuff. Unfortunately, we live, we live in a world where a lot of people like consuming quick sound bites and one minute things. I think what's working in our favor right now is everybody is, is kind of time has stopped a little bit. Right. So they can sit down and consume us for an hour. If they're fighting traffic, going to work every day, things might change a little bit. The one thing that's been to our benefit is that we're getting guests that really resonate with the local people we always make sure to bring on a, a, a child yep. from the neighborhood who's playing. So that gets their parents interested. And we also want to hear their perspectives. Like, you're older, I'm a little bit older, he's a little bit older. Like, we always talk and hypothesize about why kids do what they do. And you guys interact with adolescents on a, on a near daily basis in your capacities as coaches. And I think it's time we start asking these kids why they do what they do. Because I suspect they don't play pickup basketball anymore because of video games and because of social media. But I don't know that. So what we try and do is we bring these kids along and we ask them that stuff. And we ask them, you know, how they just feel about the game. And in real time, it's it's interesting to hear the perspective of a 10 or 12-year-old kid who loves the game Mm -hmm. as to, you know, on the spot. What do you love about the game of basketball? What do you do to work on your game? And then at the very least... One of those kids maybe walked out of there and said, you know, maybe they lied and said they work on their game all the time, but they think they're now thinking in their head, hey, you know what? I said that I work on my game a lot. Now I need to hold myself. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So that's cool. In terms of sticky situations, we did one or two interviews that we had to do again 
because uh, we figured out that it didn't record. That was fun. You know, we're not reading off a teleprompter here, and we're also, we have the visual component. So we kind of have to be paying attention at all times to what our bodies are doing and the faces we're making. I always try and look back at the camera just to remind the guests that, you know, I'm, I'm still paying attention to them too. Yeah, and then, well, right off the bat, with the COVID thing, it's kind of like, where are we going to film? Right. We were lucky. We got into St. Francis de Sales gym. So that was good for the first couple episodes. That was an excellent backdrop. Great. I wish we could still have it. This is wonderful, that what we have here, this woman, Kathleen Thomasetti, from She's the been great. has been great. She supports the show. She played D3 up at Vassar. So she gets it. She coaches around here. Her father played in the NFL. But... Yeah, after we lost St. Francis, it's like, where are we going to film this? We were at Charlie's house one day. One night, we tried to do a live shoot in the schoolyard while games were going on. It starts raining. <laughs> you know, it's just, I remind people, because everybody, you know, it's Rockaway. It's a neighborhood, and, and everybody, oh, the show's great, but, uh, you know, the sound on this episode was terrible. The show, I have people leaving me voicemails that they can't hear. I'm like, what do you want me to do about it? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I can tell you what to, you start your own podcast and see how difficult it is. Right, so. Exactly. But I think main, you know, the main takeaway is um, that we love what we're doing and the message has been exceedingly positive in a time where the messaging that's been disseminated on most platforms has been overwhelmingly negative. Mm. Um, so that, that's something we'll hang our hat on. We're proud of that. Yeah. And my final question to both of you is, and I, I'm sure that both of you are interested in your responses respectively, what is your best moment thus far making Rockaway Hoops? My best moment making Rockaway Hoops? Very good question. I think my best moment is that I look forward to every podcast. I wouldn't identify it as one moment of a podcast. I would say the fact in three short months, I'm really looking forward to doing the podcast from where we began, that's a joy. Mm-hmm. So I would say it's probably a, an overarching best moment. But the fact that I can find something I'm really looking forward to, besides of what I was already starting to do last March, with others, with sports and basketball, that's it for me. I'm very happy with that. What's your best moment, Ryan? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm the type of person who puts myself out there a lot. I've always been involved in the, in the neighborhood. Um, I've always, you know, always refed. I've coached. I've worked kids out. I've been community-oriented, run fundraisers. And what I've learned is when you put yourself out there that much, there's going to be a group of people that are bound to disagree with what you're doing or develop an opinion about you that isn't really representative of the person you are. Those people don't matter, but this platform gives me the opportunity to kind of show people the, my just pure love for the game of basketball and the, the reciprocal uh, feedback I've gotten from them and the common ground that's been created between myself and other members of the community is something that has really helped me, you know? I mean, I'm not a kid anymore. You know, I'm an adult. I live in the community. I think, you know, certain people know me closely. I've worked with their kids. I've worked with them. I've, you, know, you know, we've helped each other out. But I think, you know, other people who don't know me and maybe have just observed me from afar, um, having, you know, it's an opportunity for me to just represent myself well and spread a positive message, give back to the community. You know, I mean, this, the guy we had on tonight, Marty Andreessen, has been, he coached 45 years in the community. And I think 
you know, the soundbite on a lot of those guys who coach for a long time or any, any CYO or AAU coach is like, it's like, man, you know, uh, he doesn't know anything about this or he doesn't know anything about that. And he brought up one of his teams from 1989 from down here, had 15 kids. They went 42 and 0. And, and a number of those kids went on to play college basketball. So he had a good team, but they were all local kids. And what I tried to point out is that, yeah, the wins are great, and we could always debate whether that team was better or that team. How many hours did you spend with that group of kids? And none of them were your own. None right. of them belonged to you. And, you know, to a lesser extent, and it doesn't matter, but it, it, it's worth noting, like, how many people, like – criticize people in those positions sure. undeservedly where it's like think about that 42 games that just stuck out in my head I'm thinking three to four hours per game plus practices plus uh, maybe preseason workouts and things like that CYO meetings and the man has his own family had his own family at the time he had his own adolescent son who wasn't on the team you know so the commitment from those people inspires me huh? and in terms of my favorite moment in addition to you know, the collegiality I've enjoyed with the guests and, you know, being able to uh, use it as a platform from, you know, for my own personal growth is, you know, being inspired by people like that who just are so selfless and give it their time. And I don't think a lot of people take enough time to go down to the root of it and say, man, that guy gives up a lot of his time yeah. to do what he does. We, we, we've been blessed but that all of our guests love the game. And that's sort of how we've selected our guests. So we're, we're definitely very lucky for that. Yeah, that's a good dude, point. Dude, my mom was a high school coach. And at that time, like the girls Catholic League in New York City was highly publicized. Like Sue Bird was in the league. Holdsclaw was in the league before that. You had girls who went on to be number one picks in the WNBA draft. And Newsday had a phenomenal high school sports section at that time. They weren't a Long Island paper then. They were covering Brooklyn and Queens. So we would get Newsday and... On a given night, if they played prep or Christ the King, she might have a half page or a full page wow. in Newsday. So there was kind of a celebrity to it. But the job paid $1,200 a year. A year. So the amount of time that she was giving over the course of a season, I mean, maybe she had a camp in the summer and made a few dollars and got to take care of a few people, but... I mean, for the amount of critique that comes with some of these positions, you know, you're a high school volleyball coach. Um, and I think that gets lost in the shuffle too much. It's, and honestly, it's been harder for me to see that perspective as a ref now because when these guys are going after me, I'm like, read the book, man. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm like, I got a copy of the manual in the locker room. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Go to section seven and then, you know, and then figure it out. So, <laughs> but... Yeah, no, man, it's, it's been a blessing. It's, you know, anything in life is going to take up your time. That's worth it. And, and this certainly is, is a big time commitment, but it's, it's been very enjoyable. The conversations kind of have themselves. Yeah, and listen, you guys have me at your, your disposal. Anytime you have any questions, I'm a, a huge fan of the guy Thank things you you're doing. Much. How could they find more information about Rockaway Hoops? So, so we have a Facebook platform. Uh, unfortunately, we maxed out of friends, man. We got uh, Facebook limits you to 5,000 friends, and we maxed that out. Uh, the good news is it's a public page, so you go to facebook.com and just search Rockaway Hoops. It'll come up. You won't be able to add us as a friend, but you'll have access to all of our videos and all of our content. We also have an Instagram page, at Rockaway Hoops. We put out promo videos in there, and through that as well, we're continuing to build that um, with some fun clips. You know, Kira has been 
slowly growing this. And that was kind of the idea, man. Slow growth. Like you said, you know, come back to me after you do 10. And we were kind of at that point where we had improved it little by little by little. And we were like, you know what? We want to improve the sound quality just a little bit. You know, we, like I tell the people from down here who, who come up with all these critiques, I'm like, hey, it's not Sports Center. You know, I mean, we're doing this. You know, are you enjoying it? You yeah. know, can you hear it for the most part? Yeah. Then we're doing, we're doing something good. It took me 200 episodes to get all this stuff. That's, that's, that's how long it took me. I felt like I needed to, to get this when I deserved it. And I feel like I deserve it at right. this point. No, but you got a good setup, man. Yeah. I like what you do with the graphics, too, on Instagram. Looks great. It's, yeah, it's, really it's very clean. It's very professional. So what, where are we having your 500 episode party? <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. We'll see, we'll see where I'm at. But I thank both of you. Any final words you guys want to say before we part ways? Just want to thank you for having us on. We appreciate it. Appreciate your, your help and your experience giving back to others. Wish you all the best as well, Ross. Right. Yeah. Nah, what, what you're doing is great. It's giving, it's giving a lot of people. I think back to myself when I was trying to make it uh, in coaching, you know, and, and, you know, the same could be said for a lot of officials as well. There's a, you get to that middle point where there's a lot of uncertainty. And what I'm noticing is, is you're featuring a lot of men and women who are at that point. And something like what you have, which can give them exposure and put them on people's radar and serve as a networking tool is invaluable. Mm-hmm. And the way you dress it up and the way you, you know, the, the quality of your photos, the quality of your graphics, I think is, uh, is, is impeccable, man. So keep, keep up what you're doing and thanks for having us on. I mean, it's been a pleasure working with Charlie on Rockaway Hoops. We're looking forward to getting more guests on. We're interviewing Brian Winters tomorrow mm-hmm. who played in the NBA for 10 years. Every year he played in the NBA, he averaged double figures. His, his jersey's on the rafters in Milwaukee. Two-time All-Star. And he coached in the NBA. Coaching career didn't go quite as well as the playing career. Yeah. He was with the Grizzlies during some of those lean years. First, <laughs> first couple of years. But we're the lucky ones to be able to interview him. So it, it's given that's, us an that's opportunity really awesome, and platform to, to do such. But yeah, no, Ryan's been great to work with as well. That's great, really man. Really enjoyable. 100%. Yeah, we had Lieberman on last week. I she, saw. She was good. Um... It's funny too, you could, the people who've been away for a while, you start talking to them about Rockaway and you kind of bust them out of that, mm. that, that glass shell that they have to live in because that's what they're used to. You right. know? They're constantly used to appearances, podcasts, media things. We want our thing to be different. We want it to, to resonate locally. We want to hear about their experiences abroad. But to me, if I want to know about Nancy Lieberman's pro career, I could read about that in Sports Illustrated or in a book. Yeah. I want to hear about the time she came down to St. Francis de Sales and played with the boys and who the, who the boys were mm. and what happened that day. That stuff's interesting. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, keep it up. Keep trying to uncover those stories. And just like you said that um, when a kid is saying that they're working out every day and, and now they're on record, I want to do a special project with you guys and I'm going to say it off air, but now you're going to have to hold me to it because it's on record. For <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ryan Warner, for Coach Marquardt, For Rockaway Hoops, this is Ralph the Ref. This is The Ramp. We are signing out. Peace.